Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Golden State Warriors, the Philadelphia 76ers. A Saturday night primetime showdown in Philadelphia. Coverage begins at 8 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ABC. Presented by Indeed. Hi, it's Paul Feinbaum. Vanderbilt head coach Derek Mason joins us fresh off a contract extension. Plus your phone calls. The Paul Feinbaum Show, Thursday at 3 Eastern on the ESPN app and the SEC Score Network. North on AM 1500 KSTP St. Paul, Minneapolis, 94.5 KSTP FM St. Paul HD2, and on scorenorth.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. And welcome to another edition of Purple Daily TCL Broadcast Studios. Judd Zolgad, Matthew Collar with you for the hour. And um, we're going to be joined by a guest shortly here, but we're extremely worked up about various things coming out of the Combine in Indianapolis. Uh, Rick Spielman, the Vikings GM, talked yesterday. Matthew, Mike Zimmer, the head coach, talk today. Uh, before we're joined by our guest, where would you like to start? Because there's a lot of uh, interesting things coming out of the Combine Vikings-wise. Much of it has my uh, blood boiling right now. Yeah, uh, a couple things. Rewriting of history is always annoying to me when we get to the end of the season and then they pretend like we forgot what happened last year. Uh, starting with Mike Zimmer today saying that he understood the frustration of Vikings fans for them not drafting a lineman last year, but pointed out if the guy doesn't fit the scheme, he's not going to succeed. The problem with that is I know who he's referring to is Will Hernandez. That was the person everyone wanted them to take. But there were three or four other offensive linemen that were taken shortly after that, and they were taken by surprise, the Vikings were, by the run on offensive linemen. They did not expect that, and they admitted to that on draft night that they didn't expect it. Braden Smith was one of the highest-rated guys by PFF this year for the Indianapolis Colts. He was available. James Daniels was available. There, There were multiple players who could have been taken. Austin Corbett was another guy who went shortly after that, who could have been taken on the offensive line that were scheme fits for the Vikings, and they decided to go with Mike Hughes instead, who I think is going to be a good player, but... It just is bothersome right, me to me that they're going back and saying, oh, it was uh, we didn't take him because of scheme fit. And let me stop you right there, because what frustrates me is not that they took Mike Hughes. If you think you've got a good cornerback, that's fine. The frustrating thing about the lack of preparation by this team was not to be prepared for those linemen to start to go 
early in the second round mm-hmm. and not to have a plan to get back up. And don't give me this. You can't trade that many picks. That's a bunch of BS. Spielman brags, I get 10 picks a year so I can move around, which is fine. All well and good. But then not to be prepared. That's the problem here. Everything that the Vikings say in trying to, as you just said, rewrite the past year, everything that they say and they don't even realize this reeks of lack of preparation. So be prepared when those linemen, those guards start to go to get back up in the second round. Don't come out and tell me, well, we weren't expecting it. If I'm the Wilfs, at that point, I'm like, you, you weren't expecting it? You weren't expecting it? So they indict themselves continually with what they say, I think. And uh, the crazy thing about this trying to go back and say, well, you know, this guy was in a scheme fit or whatever, and ignoring the fact that they were caught off guard by that run on offensive lineman is that in our draft simulations, there are websites, including uh, one that we're going to talk to a guy from, the Draft Network, where the, where you can simulate the draft. And we have a grand old time doing that. Guess what happened to me every time I tried to take something other than an offensive lineman in the draft simulations? All the offensive linemen went off the board, and I ended up with uh, the bottom of the barrel by the time I got to the Vikings' second pick. So even if they played around with just a website that would have selected them based on a number of scouting reports and mock drafts, they would have found that to happen. And yet the NFL team was taken off guard, and then we go back and say, well, this one player wasn't a scheme fit, even though there were five or six. Now that's thing number one that's frustrating. There are a few more, including... Uh, there was a report today from Adam Schefter that the Vikings did try to trade Anthony Barr last year, which makes Mike Zimmer's impromptu press conference to announce they weren't trying to trade Anthony Barr even funnier. And then, well, we had the wrong scheme for Kirk Cousins. So the continual blaming of John D. I want to get to that. One is eventually. really frustrating to me as well. But yes. Yes. Uh, one of the guys who I trust the absolute most on the NFL draft, I have followed his work for a very long time. He is in Indianapolis, wanted to bring him into the show today. The senior NFL draft analyst for the Draft Network, John Lenyard. Uh, John, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I know, John, that this is like one of your favorite weeks of the year. And then you got just a, a great moment this morning when Kyler Murray put his hands out. And they measured those hands, <laughs> and and when he stood there, and they measured that head, and it came out five foot ten, and then there was just a grand celebration. What was that moment like for everyone there in Indy, John, with Kyler Murray being exactly five foot ten? Hopefully, it was more exciting for NFL teams than it was for all of us because you know, I was just like, well, I mean, I thought he was probably just under five ten or just over five ten, right around where he was. So. Um, not a huge surprise there, I don't think. Uh, the hand size is probably the biggest thing, just because he is smaller. But it didn't really seem to be an issue on tape, so I wasn't surprised that it was well over the threshold um, for for, uh, for I think it was like what nine and a half. So um, you know he checks the box in that area, which is big. The weigh-in was big for uh, but more of a big deal than the height uh, to me even. But I mean, two hundred seven pounds is definitely not what he played at. So and every team is going to know that. But at the same time, you bulk up, you put a good number on paper, it looks good, uh, and it makes teams think. Well, maybe he can hold, you know, he holds 207 now, but pretty clear he's been on the dirty bulk system uh, since uh, the season ended. Uh, and uh, who, can, who can blame him? That's something he had to do. And, again, no reason for him to run here. Uh, everyone knows he's fast already, and it wouldn't matter that much if he wasn't, you know, if he was a little bit slower than normal because he's a quarterback. So, you know, for quarterbacks, it's easy. Just bulk like crazy before 
Uh, if they're worried about your weight, just bulk up because you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, and it's easy to do these days. So he was able to do that and give himself a good result there, which is good. Um, I think that uh, teams will be less concerned maybe than they were, but at the same time, this guy went from being in the first or zeroth percentile quarterback in the NFL to the first or zeroth percentile quarterback in the NFL. He's still the shortest. He's still the lightest. It isn't that close. So we're still talking about an evaluation that would buck the norm. It would be uh, definitely a, a totally different trend in the way the NFL evaluates the position. Should we start talking about Kyler Murray as future Arizona Cardinal Kyler Murray at this point? <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, but it is hard for the Cardinals to play this up. You know, I thought initially when – the ridiculous rumors kind of came out and the, the video with Kingsbury came out. Um, you know, it was, it was always parallel for people to get going on social media. Uh, and the Cardinals just kind of were like, you know, this isn't a real thing. And, you know, Kingsbury even said in his press, he's like, yeah, Josh Rosen's our guy. And Kingsbury was pretty effusive in his praise for, uh, Josh Rosen yesterday. And I've been told that's one of the big reasons. Uh, that he took the job was the ability to work with him. But at the same time, um, you know, you hear Bruce Arians say something like, he's our quarterback right now. Um, and it obviously is not the way that you would say that um, unless, you know, there was kind of some doubt there. Or you were trying to play up interest uh, in the first overall pick, which would behoove the Arizona Cardinals greatly. Because look at their situation right now. Really, you know, teams two through five through six, even maybe, aren't going to take a quarterback. You know, I mean, the Raiders made that pretty clear yesterday. Uh, the Giants are still a possibility at six, but that doesn't really help the 49ers anyway. If you're the Jaguars and you're incentivized to get up in the draft and to get over top of anybody taking a quarterback, right now there's really not much incentive. Like, it's pretty much, you know, you sit where you're at uh, currently, um, and uh, you might get one fall to you unless somebody jumps up. And certainly, even if you're worried about somebody jumping up over you, you're not trying to get to number one unless, the team at number one wants the quarterback that you want. Right. Um, I, the rumors have started leaking out a little bit here that the Jaguars are interested in Kyler Murray. Even some of Doug Marone's comments were kind of you know, geared toward, you know, what's well, finding a quarterback that can create outside of structure a little bit, add a more explosive uh, dynamic, and, you know, talking about the importance of a quarterback being able to buy an extra second in the pocket and extend things. Uh, I think that pointed toward, you know, them moving that way with an evaluation and John DeFilippo liking to work with athletic quarterbacks and moving that way in evaluation, uh, that makes sense too uh, with their hiring of him. So I think that is starting to creep up to the surface. I think you're going to see a lot of mocks start to bring Kyler Murray uh, to Jacksonville. But right now, what's the incentive for Jacksonville to move up? Not a whole lot uh, because it doesn't look like anybody ahead of them is really taking a quarterback and certainly not taking Kyler Murray. I don't think anyone expects the Giants to take Murray if they do take a quarterback. So, that would uh, mean that Arizona, if they're interested in moving back, which they are, um, they would need to play up interest in that number one pick and even interest them for themselves in Murray to incentivize Jacksonville to try and climb up the board uh, and give away potentially big assets, which Jacksonville would probably be willing to do because they don't have a ton of needs. They just need a quarterback. You know, that's how they feel about it anyway. You know, they feel like they get the offensive line back healthy. They get Fournette back healthy. They still have a really good young defense, so they need a piece here and a piece there. But, you know, nothing they can't fill through free agency or the mid-round pick or something like that. They feel like they're a quarterback away. I don't think they would mind giving up lots of picks to go get that guy. But the reality is that there's no reason for them to do that unless they drum up interest in taking Murray at number one overall. So a smart strategy by Arizona. 
they need a ton of different things in the draft and free agency. So to be rebuild that roster would behoove them to get extra assets. Moving down to seven would hurt, so they're going to have to weigh what the cost of it is. But if you're adding multiple first-round picks, that's a good way to go uh, for Jacksonville. They could have to give up a lot to get there. So all just part of the intrigue here, but I would be very shocked if they selected Tyler Murray if they stayed at number one. Hey, Jen, with, with how the game is changing now, too, how much do you think uh, that things or smart teams are evolving in how they grade and think about QBs? Because it used to be, you know, we, we could go down the list of what teams liked and didn't like, and, and it was pretty consistent for every team. But with how offenses are evolving, and, and certainly the pro game is, sort, is certainly in some ways morphing more into the college game, how much do you look at this now and see uh, at least smart teams, smart GMs sort of altering the way that they think about what can be a successful quarterback in this league? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely something that's totally changed. I mean, a couple of years ago, we wouldn't even been considering Murray at quarterback. Mm. It would have been automatically a position switch, um, and there wouldn't be even been much interest in him there. Now he's the face of the draft, uh, so it's a huge swing. Uh, I think a lot of new young coaches and exciting offensive systems have helped bring that change along pretty quickly. Uh, teams that haven't kind of caught on to that uh, trend of doing things have fallen behind really fast in the NFL. Um, so I think that, uh, yeah, having an athletic quarterback has is, is become more and more important, especially as defensive lines have improved and edge passers have gotten you know, more athletic uh, every single year, it seems. Um, that, that's made a big difference. Uh, the teams, you know, the increased ability to win 1v1 and have your best athletes on the defensive line rather than at, at other spots on the defense. So I think that um, that's something that absolutely is going to be a consideration and uh, something the teams are going to have to look for when they evaluate quarterbacks. I think it is. Part of the reason that Josh Rosen did was the last quarterback taken in last year's class as he was seen as the least mobile of the group. So that part matters. And then also the ability to use your quarterback as a running weapon in the red zone really matters. I mean, Cam Newton's been unbelievable there. Dak Prescott, when they do run him in the, in the red zone, has been really effective as well. So, you know, obviously Russell Wilson with his leg. So, you know, there is kind of a trend in the NFL toward getting creative in the red area because it has become so important. And analytics show that it's so important. Um, and if defenses are going to take away big plays down the field, uh, you got to be able to finish drives in the end zone. And so I think because of that, athleticism at quarterback really matters as well. So there's a lot you can do if you have those kind of traits at the position. You are listening to Purple Daily, Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad. We are talking to John Ledyard. He is the senior NFL draft analyst of the Draft Network and is live in Indianapolis. So as we start to get a look at some of these offensive linemen, John, the Vikings have made it very clear they're going to run Kubiak offense, Shanahan style. They're going to run zone and then play action off that. At number 18, are there linemen who stick out to you that might be a fit in a zone scheme? Yes. Uh, the Vikings are going to draft Gary Bradbury. <laughs> I'm telling you, write it down in pen. That's who they're going to draft. I really feel strongly about it. I think he makes so much sense. It's a huge position of need. Um, you know, I think that he fits exactly what they're looking for. Um, I, I don't know whether they see Alphine as a center long term, but the reality is he struggled for two years, and I liked him coming out. But we just got to call a spade a spade. He struggled for two years, and you need an important player. You know, look at zone teams across the NFL that Shanahan's had, um, you know, and other teams have had. The, the center position is so important. You can't allow that interior penetration while the run develops. It's a long, extending run uh, for a lot of what they do, and you can't allow that interior penetration to kind of muddy the back's process. So I think 
you know, the best 17 teams around the league when they run it. Alex Mack has been one of those guys. Richburg was acquired by San Francisco to be one of those guys. I think it's just such an important position. And so um, I do. I think it's really valuable that they take that position seriously and they acquire, you know, somebody like Eric Bradbury. I think he's a top-ten player in this class. His tape is sensational. Uh, his traits are really good. He had a good senior bowl. Um, I think he can protect, but he can he can dominate in the run game. We're rare rare collegiate run blocker and what he can do. And he comes from an outside zone heavy scheme at NC State. So the steps are not new to him. There's nothing new about the position to him uh, in the way that they play. So to me, I think that's going to be the Vikings pick. I feel as strong as you can feel about a pick <laughs> in the, here in the beginning of March. Um, and so uh, I think that that's one. But, I mean, there are other players for him to consider, too. And I think offensive tackle will also be a consideration as well. Uh, I think Andre Dillard from Washington State, uh, not necessarily – a polished run blocker just yet, but super athletic and certainly the type of player that they've kind of valued at that spot. It'll depend what they think of their current tackle room a little bit to see, you know, kind of who they see, you know, how they see Brian O'Neill developing, obviously, uh, what the future holds for Riley Reese and some of those guys. So um, there's a lot to consider right now that we're not truly sure of the free agency you know, will reveal. But if I'm guessing right now, I'm saying Garrett Bradbury's in Minnesota. Vikings. If there are concerns with him right now, what would those concerns be? With Bradbury? Yes, with Bradbury. Yeah, I think some of them, you know, honestly, his tape doesn't reveal a ton, uh, but I think that there, there's one issue is that when he faces head-up techniques, uh, he can get knocked back initially off the snap. He does a good job recovering, but he is forced to kind of reset a little bit and uh, has to kind of remanage his 1v1 exchanges when he is knocked back initially off the snap. So uh, something to consider with him, I guess, is how he handles power i think the first step he'll get knocked back a second and then he usually resets really well and, and kind of knocks guys hands down very savvy but he has short arms uh so and he, and he uh, measured it here at the combine of short arms so i think that's something definitely you got to consider with him uh, is that the length isn't there at an elite level but he doesn't play like it's an issue on tape you know you don't really see that him getting outreached or anything like that on tape and part of it's because he's not in a vertical blocking scheme so he's not really, that means like a power gap scheme where he has to displace people every single snap. Um, he really gets after people, but he does block on more angles. You know, it's more of a horizontal type of run scheme uh, in, in NC State. So that's where the projection gets a little bit muddier for the NFL. You know, is he going to be utilized in the same exact type of scheme? But I think the scheme fit in Minnesota could really play those advantages uh, in that way because I think, I think it would help him a lot. Uh, because it is a lot of the same scheme, and they want to dominate and run the ball in a lot of the same ways that he did at NC State. Football. Football, John Lager. That was an awesome breakdown. A, an amazing breakdown, and this is why I have always appreciated John's work. You can follow him at Ledyard, L-E-D-Y-A-R-D, NFL Draft. Before I let you go, John, uh, what is the uh, number one thing you're looking for as guys start to get on the field and they start to run their 40s and all these sorts of things? Is there someone who you just cannot wait to find out how they perform here at the Combine? Everybody's excited to see DK Metcalf, I think, and why not? I mean, the guy's a freak. He's 6'3 228 today. He obviously looks amazing. I mean, I think three or four GMs and coaches have remarked about how just physically impressive he was in their interviews and so the buzz about him is already kind of going off here and so i'm excited to see how he does but also florida safety chauncey gardner johnson you know there hasn't been the you know quote-unquote hype train on him just yet but i think it's coming i think he's going to test well you listen to all these coaches and gms they talk about the importance of versatility in the secondary and your safety being able to do a lot of different things and it just keeps screaming to me that Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who played nickel, free safety, strong safety in the box, blitz off the edge, came to Florida as an outside corner. I just feel like 
He tests well with his tape that he put on last season and the arrow kind of pointing up for him. He's going to be a riser in this draft, I really think. I think he's going to be a first-round pick right now. You rarely see him talked about uh, in that conversation. I think this combine is where he's really going to light it up. John, I have used the Draft Network website to run approximately 40 draft simulations already for the Vikings. <laughs> so what you guys are doing is awesome, and uh, I suggest everyone go there, play with that tool, and also check out the great analysis from the Draft Network. John, Including thank- the Vikings. Including including the Vikings. Rick Spielman. Uh, yes, because, John, I was telling the story that last year all the draft simulations said there was going to be a run on linemen in the second round, and then the Vikings were taken by surprise, so they need to use your website. That's right, they do, and I, I think uh, they, they may be, from what I've heard. They may be using it to run some simulations. All right, so All right. great. I think uh, hopefully it's a helpful tool for, tool for them. All right, John, thanks for dropping by, man. Absolutely, thanks so much for having me, guys. That is uh, John Ledyard, L-E-D-Y-A-R-D. NFL draft on Twitter. Fantastic breakdown. He is uh, one of my favorite guys, and this this site is new. So John had been writing for various different places, and they got – a couple of the top uh, blogger writers for the draft who go to Indy and cover this thing 365, and they launch this site, and it is truly amazing. For the draft simulations, you can click on any player, and then a window pops up with a full scouting report on each guy. So it's very cool. Garrett Bradbury, a, a three-year starter, started at right guard for uh, North Carolina State before turning into one of the best centers in the country in 2018, so you would have position flexibility as well. Yes. Between Elfline and him. And Pat Elfline did play guard in college and was very good at guard. And oftentimes, guys can go from center to guard. Now, tackle to guard is a little bit uh, harder. Different body type, too. Okay, let's talk about Mike Zimmer's future when we come back, Judd. How hot is the seat? And are we buying that it was just... The wrong scheme for Kirk Cousins? Is, is that, I got some thoughts on that, is though. That, is that what we were believing? I got some now? malpractice thoughts on that one. All right. We will come I'm not back. happy with that. On Purple Daily. Phil Mackey here from the all-new Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. We've made it easier than ever to find our team-centric Minnesota sports podcast. Wherever you subscribe to podcasts, just search Score North, that's S-K-O-R, and you'll find Score North Vikings, for instance, which includes Purple Daily, Purple Podcast, and Vikings Ventline. Score North Wolves includes Raised by Wolves, Myron Medcalf on Hoops, and more. Score North Twins includes Touch Em All, Royce on Baseball, and more, and so on. Just search Score North, S-K-O-R, wherever you find your favorite podcast. You aren't into Minnesota sports. Talk to the Mitten. Score North. Minnesota sports. Anytime, anywhere. Scorenorth.com. First of all, uh, you know, I've, I've sat in the meetings every single day, and I've been so impressed with, with the way the communication is going, the way that Gary talks about, you know, it's almost like romantic for me that I can sit there and hear about you know, Bill Walsh and, and that offense and how it evolved to Mike Shanahan and so on and so forth. And, and for me as a football guy, um, all those things are, it's just outstanding how this came about, how that came about, um, you know, how this play worked in this particular situation and, and the way that they're putting this all together. It's, I, I couldn't be any happier the way that, that that situation's been going. The all-new Score North Purple Daily TCL Broadcast Studios, Zolgad and uh, Collar. Football, man. And you heard that right. Manny, play the sounder. Football. Because you just, you just heard a man in his 60s <laughs> use it's romantic to hear me talk about. So does Gary stop in for uh, Bill Wall's story time? Honestly, I'm jealous. I Tell am me jealous. another story. <laughs> I Tell would... me another story, Gary. No, I... don't. No, I don't want to go to sleep yet, Gary. 
I would love to hear Gary Kubiak talk about some of those early Elway offenses when he just became the offensive coordinator there and they completely switched to a West Coast system because Elway hadn't had the West Coast system until I think it was 94 or 95. And that was what really extended his career. Shanahan got there in 94. Ninety-five, yeah, Yeah. and and that extended John Elway's career. And I remember watching one of those old NFL films yearbooks where Elway is talking on the sideline to his backup quarterback Hugh Millen about how easy the offense was now for a quarterback. It's like, ah, we're never in third and long anymore with this with this Kubiak system, not supposed to be. That's the whole goal. I love, but I love the fact that he that he tied in the word romantic. With football. Yes, yes. So let's see. Yeah, so he was uh, Kubiak's first NFL assistant job, 94, San Francisco, quarterback's coach. So and Shanahan yeah, was the offensive coordinator. So so basically what Kubiak got at that time, if I'm not mistaken, was story time from what probably would have been, what, George Seifert? In yes. 94. And George, yes. and George had worked, if I'm not mistaken, with Bill. That's correct. And so yes. the hand of God came down and told Gary, Gary, this is how you run your offense, <laughs> the West Coast. And then, but then the only problem is Yahoo's like my guy Chili got the idea that I could run the West Coast offense too. And the thing that we have learned is, especially before it started to morph a lot, the West Coast offense, if run competently, is really effective. Yep. Unfortunately, when it gets into the, the wrong hands, it can also look like absolute crap. <laughs> well, that's what Chili said, right? And it wasn't kick his first year. It's a, it's a kick-ass you offense. You know how that came about? When it's run properly. You know how that came about? I believe it was late in the 2006 season after a game against Green Bay in which this offense looked awful. I mean, dog bleep. Seifert and I are like, what can we ask? Or what we got to find out what's wrong here. And so Kevin asked a very eloquent, smart question of Brad about, does this really work for for your personnel? And that's where he got the, this is a kick-ass offense, mm. finally. And, of course, it was with Brett Favre in 2009. Yes, yes. It only took three years. And as most offenses go, it usually depends on how it fits the quarterback, which leads us to another narrative that is being spun by the Vikings, which, see, the reason Kirk Cousins didn't perform so well in year one was because he didn't have the right scheme, which, of course, is kind of telling on yourselves for hiring the wrong guy and not hiring Kevin Stefanski last year, which all of us thought... You should hire Kevin Stefanski after Pat Shermer leaves and stay with the same offense. But you're out there on a daily basis, Matthew, so explain this to me. Yesterday especially, Rick Spielman indicted himself as far as saying, we signed this quarterback to, by the way, a three-year contract, which is nothing. Three years is a very brief time period. Three years does not give you a year of luxury to be like, oh, we made some mistakes here, right? So how on earth is Rick now saying that we essentially sabotaged this quarterback by putting him into a system that we realized had no chance of working. How can you be that stupid on a three-year contract? If this is like a rookie and it's a five-year deal or six years, all right, I'm willing to give you a pass. It's, It's a mistake, but what I don't understand here, what confuses me and where I have real issues with what Rick is saying, and I guess Mike is now as well, is we made a mistake completely in who we hired to run a scheme for a guy who we now realized or we knew because here's what gets me. These guys said they saw every, they sat down and I don't doubt this and watched every throw that Kirk made. If that's the case, they would have noticed the West Coast offense in there. Yes. 
Yeah, so how do we how do we accidentally sign a guy to an $84 million guaranteed contract and now say, oh, we goofed that up, but now we got Kubiak? We do have to get the timeline right. They hired DeFilippo first before they signed Kirk Cousins, and they didn't have time to wait on DeFilippo before they got Kirk Cousins because other people wanted to hire John DeFilippo, so they needed to go all in on him then. But they still knew that Kirk Cousins was Correct. their top target and that they had a really not great chance them, of bringing him in. I'm not going to give them that out. Here's what Correct. frustrates me, though, is now what's being said by Spielman and Zimmer is, well, this is this is year two. See, now year two, it's the same thing that Cousins said at the end of the year. This is when free agents really get it is year two. Just like uh, Alex Boone really got it in year two. No, wait, they cut him in year yeah. two. Uh, just like Sheldon Richardson needed to... No, Sheldon was great. He didn't need two years. Yep. I mean, that's that's totally bogus. Uh, and we know that, that it's just a thing that's being said so they don't have to discuss the actual problems with Kirk Cousins. Now, I believe that this is a much better fit in terms of scheme for Cousins. He was still a 500 quarterback in Washington, so let's not go romantic on Washington's offense with him either. Right. But... What irritates me about this is it pins everything on the guy who's not here anymore. It pins everything on, it was D. Filippo's fault. It was D. Filippo's fault. Don't look anywhere else. Don't look at the quarterback. Don't look at the front office for not drafting a lineman. Don't look at us for not having a better free agent veteran lineman to step in than Tom Compton. Don't look at us for sticking with Laquan Treadwell and thinking we could sign Kendall Wright to a one-year, $1 million contract and he would come in and be great. Don't look at us for failing on draft picks in the fifth round for second tight ends over and over again. Do not look over here. It was John D. Filippo's fault. He is in Jacksonville. The bad man is gone. Now we've got good men to put this guy in the perfect football system to succeed. And what's agitating about that is it's just trying to wash their hands of the responsibility and put it all on D. Filippo. And, and uh, take it away from Kirk, too, who, by the way, I seem to remember overthrowing a wide-open Stephon Diggs at Soldier Field that maybe could have taken that game a different way. I remember him with Kevin Stefanski as his offensive coordinator completely failing to but show they, up at home but, against the Chicago Bears. But it's as simple as this. In retrospect now, they sabotaged themselves. They sat and and the and I don't care what the timeline is. They knew well and good that they were going to be in January a front runner and a likely place for Kirk Cousins to come. All right. The other thing they knew is they knew in retrospect now that the offensive line, which which had problems, they were picking possibly the worst scheme fit possible for that line. This is self-sabotage. This is what, if you are an owner of a team, you look at the general manager who's making these decisions and you call him in and say, what the hell were you doing? I just spent all of this money, and what did you give me? And that offensive line, God bless them, needed everything possible to prop them up. And they gave them the worst scheme possible. And the Sprano dying is awful. And it's a sad story, and I completely get that. But if you can't transition from, let's say he had just quit, all right? Let's say he had just quit, and he's alive and well, but he quit. You still have to give that line the best chance possible. And that scheme didn't do it. And now they're essentially saying, we knew that we were going to go after this high-profile quarterback, but we really wanted this offensive uh, coordinator, so we went and signed him first, and we screwed that up. This all comes back, and it comes back to one guy to me, Rick Spielman. Mike Zimmer gets the groceries and does his best there. And let's be honest, Mike Mike makes great Italian food. But when it comes to Mexican, he ain't so good, and that's the offense, all right? 
So it's on Rick Spielman. It's his job to do this right. And he sabotaged that side of the ball with decisions that that basically made now, in retrospect, no sense. And he's admitting to it now. He's just trying. He is doing what he always does, which is the brilliant. I'm going to try and create so much confusion in what I say that you don't focus on the key things. But if you do focus on the key things, this comes back largely to him. And I guess uh, when we ask about now, why did you hire John D. Flippo if it wasn't the right quarter, uh, wasn't the right system for the quarterback that you were going to spend eighty four million dollars on, and it wasn't the right system for your offensive line, then why did you do it in the first place when this was about as an attractive job as there was out there? A team that went thirteen and three and was going to bring in a franchise quarterback who has been always known as someone who works really well with his coordinators and can execute things when they're drawn up. And he and McVeigh are still close, and he and Kyle Shanahan are so close. So this isn't a quarterback that anybody would be like, "Oh no, I don't know about that." This was the job of the offseason last year for anyone who's an offensive coordinator. And they picked something that was completely different from what Pat Shermer ran. And when I looked back at the Philadelphia offense, Filippo was running a lot of it. And that offense required really good offensive line play. And you notice even this year, Philadelphia, when they got a couple of linemen dinged up, Lane Johnson was trying to play hurt when he played the Vikings, and you saw the difference there. I think Jason Kelsey was hurt early in the season, too. He was. Jason Peters was dinged up at times. They really, really struggled. It's an offense that needs a very, very good offensive line to succeed, and mostly because they they will they'll move their guys, of course. But it's not the same as the zone running scheme where they're always moving people. It's more of the pulls, and it's more of the one on ones. You stand there. We don't run as much play action outside of the RPOs. You stand there and you block that guy. Jason Peters has no problem with that. Lane Johnson has no problem with that. You know who does have a problem with that? Riley Reef yeah. and. Brian O'Neill trying to step right in from the beginning, and Rashad Hill and the two guards, they all had trouble with that. So if you knew what your roster was, now they're sitting here saying, well, we didn't draft Will Hernandez because of the scheme. Wait, but you brought in a guy who didn't even run the scheme you're talking about. Right. He didn't even run the zone scheme, but you're saying Hernandez wasn't a fit for the zone scheme? As usual, as we try to pick these statements apart, they usually come back to everybody trying to say, ah, wasn't really our fault. And it also wasn't really Kirk's fault because we spent a lot of money on that, so we want to make it very clear it was not Kirk's fault. It's classic. See what had happened was but, exactly. Yeah, but what? But what? But what? Rick is saying about Kirk, though. Rick is in, in in Rick way, and Spielman's got a special way about him. In Rick way, what he's doing is he is blaming Cousins. He's trying to do it though without blaming himself. So what he's saying is, and what Collar could have told you or tried to tell you a year ago. So I mean, we we ain't, we ain't talking rocket science here. Was that Kirk Cousins to be effective? needs help and he needs coaching help and he's going to get it now but you don't have when you're coming off a 13 and 3 year and a run to the NFC title game you do not have a year to get it right if Rick right. if yep. i if i was Ziggy Welf and Rick Spielman came in and told me everything he's saying now i'm looking for a new gm cuz i'm saying hold on a second here coming off 13 and 3 with a coach is pretty good coming off 13 and 3 you are now telling me that you basically Put your put you licked your finger and put it up in the air on the offense and you took a guess because that's what he's doing. Now, well, if you want to go back and look at why they hired John D. Filippo, it was because his team whipped their butts. 
Yeah, that's why they hired John D. That also gets you fired in my world. That's what I mean. That, I mean, that, all of these yeah. things are fireable offenses. Like, so if we follow down any particular path, we all always end up with, wait, what were you doing? Yeah. If we follow it down the path of like, no, he was the he was the smart guy to hire because he whipped our butts. Like, wait, you were making a decision based on that as opposed to based on the offense that got you to thirteen and three the year before. And is that purely Rick? Or or was that my if Mike Zimmer have if if I was GM of this team and Mike ever came into me and said man this guy I mean my defense and he they crushed us and he was the quarterback coach I would say Mike get back in your office shut the door and be quiet because you're gonna have nothing to do with this decision you get nothing to, if this is your reasoning you get this is not this is not a big boy take by you Mike your defense which hey is good I like it but that was the quarterbacks coach and you want to hire this guy to pick his brain if that conversation took place and I don't know it did. I want you out of my office right now because that's not how you do business. So you hired a guy that didn't fit, and then he didn't fit, and then but you, you blame but, him for your quarterback underperforming. But Matthew, you knew. Here, here's what frustrates me though, and where I'm not willing to give them a break on the timeline. You knew that you oh, were going knew. to, yeah. But yeah, you knew, knew that that you were going to be one of probably three teams yep. in on Cousins. Yep. And so every decision that you made in January had to be based on we're probably going to get this guy. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's uh, completely right. That they, so I don't they care knew, about the timeline. They knew that he was their top target because nobody else's knees worked, and they didn't want to bring back Keenum unless they absolutely had to. Right. And maybe if they brought back Keenum, then they would have been talking about uh, going with a more Shermer style scheme. But th- but that coaching tree, that Andy Reid coaching tree that Shermer is connected to, it's pretty big. There were other candidates out there that. They could have brought in if they didn't want to give it to Kevin Stefanski and they didn't feel that he was ready. But now giving it to Kevin Stefanski is sort of like, whoops, we made a mistake. But they're not. But But then they're not because they're they're bringing Gary Yeah, let's not. Stefanski has the title and, and I'm sure he's going to be intricately involved. But Gary Kubiak has now actually Kubiak, I think, takes more as much or more off of Zim's plate as Stefanski's. Because now Zim just doesn't have to be involved. You will, you other than lip service in 2019, I guarantee you offensively, you will hear really nothing. And remember, let's not forget, too, Kevin Stefanski was on his way out the door to be the offensive coordinator under Pat Shermer yep. with the Giants, and the Vikings blocked him from doing so. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Only to just leave him as the quarterback coach and then have to turn it over to him much later. But that you know, with this topic in particular, you either go down... One path of like, well, we we made a mistake, so it actually is our fault. Or don't blame us; it was actually John D. Filippo, but you guys hired him. And also, uh, let's look around at some other responsibility. I mean, did John D. Filippo's system make Kirk Cousins? Oh, I don't know. Throw the ball backwards to Latavius Murray in Seattle. <laughs> right. Did did he make him fumble repeatedly? Right. Did he make him throw, throw pick fumbles, sixes? But. but did, Different types of fun. I'm not completely defending Kirk, but now what they are admitting to was was that Kirk should have been placed in third grade, and they placed him in seventh grade, and he failed. He failed. They're they're essentially saying what we have been saying for quite some time, which is he is a quarterback who needs his hand held. He needs to be treated like Case Keenum. Sure, only he'll just be a better version than Keenum. But if you're the adult in the room and you misjudge that, that's a stupid mistake by you, especially if if you're paying me. A ton of money, and you misjudge me that badly. You got to prop me up as much as possible. That's your job, then. And so I'm with you. Cousins gets blame here, but the admissions coming out now to me, if I'm a Vikings fan, I want to puke. Let's get to uh, Joe and Duluth here. What's going on, Joe? Hey, what's going on? Just the take that I have that kind of lines up with you guys about the whole scheme thing. 
um, regarding the reports that came out yesterday about Roger Saffold, mm-hmm. I think that it's critical to not spend big-time money on free agent offensive line, but number one, because I think it's a massive risk. You see it with Reef, you see it with Remmers, you saw it with Nate Soldier this year. Yep. If you get these guys in the wrong scheme, it's not going to work. So I want to go get savvy, scheme-fit guys. Um, the only guy that I'd be willing to spend big money on is Matt Paredes because we've seen him in Gary Kubiak's system. But to go out and spend 13, 14 mil on Roger Saffold or Trent Brown, I think it would be a massive mistake. Yeah, It's a huge risk, and I don't want to spend my money there at all. Joe, you make a great point. Thanks for the call, man. Um, with that, remember with Roger Saffold, he's playing next to Andrew Whitworth. It matters who you play next to. Oh, absolutely. With Pat Elfline, he had a tough year. But he's playing next to two backup caliber players at right and left guard. So and he was hurt and came back, and, and, and that makes a big the, difference for those guys. The context matters. Plus, Saffold is thirty-one years old. Yes, and he wasn't really as good as he was. And you can look at his pro football focus grades. He wasn't really as good as he was the last couple of years until Andrew Wetworth showed up, and then all of a sudden his grades are better. And if they add, let's say they add a competent guy or two to that that line too, with the change in scheme. How much does that change things? Because to me, that can that can prop guys up pretty quickly. That's that's what I keep coming back to is I think offensive line wise, they might have run the worst scheme possible for that group. I agree. Yep. So so they basically they basically said, We know you're not that good and we're gonna cripple you more. And where I would point a big finger at John D. Flippo, and I think the night that really got him fired, not actually when he was, but started that ball rolling was Riley Reef. One on one repeatedly with Khalil Mack, yeah. and after that happened, it's like okay, you need to change something with this scheme because if you're going to approach Khalil Mack in 2019 that way, which I guarantee they won't. If you do, then Kirk Cousins is going to have very little chance in those situations too. So really, <laughs> the I mean, a hole the, then, yeah. the the blame goes into a bunch of different buckets. Yes. that Cousins didn't make the throws. Yes, Zimmer. Didn't handle the DiFilippo situation very well at all. Yes. Just repeatedly but, calling him out in the media. DiFilippo didn't handle the right scheme. They didn't hire the right scheme guy. They didn't draft the lineman. They didn't find backup linemen for if anybody got hurt, except for Kirk's best buddy, Tom Compton. I, I mean, it really goes across the board for why this didn't work out. But what upsets me the most about this is you're coming off a 13-3 and season. You are set up to be good, really good potentially, right? And now in retrospect, what you do is you make some of the worst choices possible. And that goes back not to what what happened beginning in the season. That goes back to what happened starting last March or January and why you made the decisions that you did. And and now you're trying to basically ignore them or, or wish them away. But there have to be, if you own this team, you have to ask questions. You have to. You have to say we need we need to know exactly Rick what you were doing because in the future this can't happen. A window opens for so long, right? So you go 13 and 3 and it's a surprise and that's great and you go to the conference title game and that's great. But then that window is only open for how long? And to basically close it on yourself is ridiculous. Uh an acquisition by the Cowboys today that <laughs> has taken the entire football world by surprise. We will talk about that when we come back here on Purple Daily. Stand back. We don't know how big this is going to get. Scorenorth.com All the pressure on the left side. He drops the ball. Throws. Caught. Witten. Touchdown. 
Judd, I'm going to say something, and I want you to pay attention to my tense, okay? All right. Jason Witten is a member of the Dallas Cowboys. Not Jason Witten was a member of the Dallas Cowboys. Is, once again, today, a member of the Dallas Cowboys. Not on a one-day contract to retire, but a real (laughs) football contract for $5 million to leave the ESPN booth. This is not an April Fool's joke. This is really happening. Can I ask a question? To leave the ESPN booth to return to the Dallas Cowboys as a tight end. Here's my question. What did ESPN have to include in that trade to get them to take Witten's contract? <laughs> it didn't go well. The, by the way, his first year did not first go round well. Pick. Whatever it is, is the Andrew Wiggins trade the Wolves are going to make. <laughs> Jason Witten and Wiggy are the same guy. You got to get him out of town. Trade Andrew Wiggins to the Dallas Cowboys? Here's, here's why I felt bad for, for Jason Witten. Pick a wide receiver. Jason Witten is an incredibly smart player. Yeah who they thought could recreate the Tony Romo effect. But just because he played with Tony Romo doesn't mean he's Tony Romo. And that was very clear about three weeks in. Because the first week, you're like, oh, he's probably really nervous. And then the second week, you're like, oh, maybe that was better. And by three or four, you're like, oh, boy, they really botched this. And they need to find a way out of it. Now, I don't think this is actually ESPN finding a way out of it. He probably just You don't think they called Jerry Jones? No, I think he had an offer to come back. Jerry got well, they tried to get him back. Dollars. They tried to get him back during the season. Yeah, and he said no. And I'm sure ESPN's like, no, really, Jason, you should go. The incredible thing about this is ESPN's run by a bunch of people who have been in this business a long time and are, are seemingly probably pretty smart. How did you not look at Romo and say that, folks, is lightning in a bottle? They, that so rarely. I remember thinking to myself, what are you doing starting him on the top team? And then, obviously, he was fantastic. And so they had made a really good hire. But when I saw this, I'm like, that, that, you're not going to get that twice. My guess is that they did the like simulations. They brought people in. They had them watch a game. And they had them call it with, call it, Joe, yeah, Testator, with yeah. Joe Testator and see how it worked out. And it probably sounded okay to them and maybe better than some of their other options. And they decided to give it a, a whirl. But in actual live circumstances... It didn't work out very well, and it became extremely awkward with Booger down on his Booger mobile, and I never understood. <laughs> but he was just never but, why they did but that. But Witten was never comfortable. Like no, if they never. had fired Booger and said you're the problem, Witten still would have stunk. There's, he there's, just wasn't good. He, he's not comfortable. There is another part of it too: is once we decide that a broadcaster is bad, then we obsess over it. Like that, it's just a well, thing we do, whether it's, it's Twitter or whether it's just it's, people watching the game. But it's fair if he's on the only game that night. You've got to be really oh, good I'm not there. saying it's unfair. I right. mean, it's Monday Night Football. Of course they want right. someone great. I'm saying that it was, it probably wasn't as bad as it seemed, but once we all noticed it, then we couldn't stop talking about how bad it was, so it's better for him to just maybe not do this. And then when he retires again, go on CBS's third crew. Yeah, absolutely. And get some experience. Or go in the studio. And, and, and Right, in the studio. And, and then work your way back up to a better gig, because I do think he has potential. Just quick, one, one more note uh, from Zim's Access at the Combine today. Andrew Kramer, who, of course, worked here at one time, now at Star Tribune. Mike Zimmer is mulling adding a kicking coach to the staff, pointing to the missed field goals in Green Bay that would have led to a playoff berth and the missed 27-yarder against, of course, the Seahawks. I got the sound of that. Play it right now. I've thought about that an awful lot with the, you know, with the kicking situation we've had for the five years that I've been there. And, you know, I think part of it is that we allow them to – 
especially a young guy, make, make some mistakes, make sure we un- they understand that we're behind them. But I also have really been thinking hard about um, trying, trying to get someone, you know, these, the golfers have a swing coach, you know, the, everybody's got coaches now to do these things. And so I've been thinking really, really hard about maybe trying to find a, a true kicker's coach, you know, where that's all he really does. Great day for you, Zolga. I want my fee. Mike, <laughs> I want day. my fee. You know what? I know it. I know it. He's an old guy. He loves AM radio. Clearly, he's tuned it. in. He's in our demo. He loves 1500. He probably tuned in one day thinking, where's Such? Such wasn't on. It was me babbling. And he's like, that's a great idea. I did hear from Sage at the Combine that he was told by a high-ranking official that they listened to Score North. So then maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Maybe they were listening and said... That Zolgad, for the first time in history, has a point. They're afraid. They're afraid that the Wild's going to get to me first. <laughs> but I don't charge the Wild. I like Paul Fenton, and he's cleaning out the locker room just like we talked about. He has followed so, along with you, that's for sure. I want my fee from the Vikings. The Wild, it's all free, guys. Paul Fenton, former whaler, it's free. They what you should to, say is for the Vikings, the, the first one's free. <laughs> just like drugs. I, now last I'll give you a little year, taste of ideas. Last year they were convinced that Dan Bailey would bounce back from his down year, and he was a veteran. And he didn't need any extra help. So if they go with a younger kicker, a kicking coach makes sense. They have a coach for almost everything else. I know. Uh, eventually, every player will have his own coach. That's just how and it's going to work. Can just lean back and relax in the Barca lounger. Like talk to uh, Ted's coach earlier today. He was talking to Bob's coach. <laughs> Jimmy's coach. He thinks that he's doing the right technique. All right. Whatever sport is coming up next. Raised by wolves. Basketball then. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world. Like the Nissan Leaf. It can move racing forward. And take your breath away like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by Leaf owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change.